Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, as you know, Pastor Jason's on a much-deserved vacation with his family, and uh, I have the opportunity to share with you this morning. And if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, if you would like to open that and uh, follow along in the Scriptures with me. I, I appreciate the song we sang there at the end about Come Let Us Adore Him, because that's really what I want us to think a little bit about this morning, is about our celebration for Christmas and I know we have a lot of family traditions that is involved in our celebrating as we get together and exchange gifts. And, of course, when we put lights on our house and snowmen welcoming people in our front yards and all those good things that we do. And notice I said good things. I enjoy those things. Drive by my house. I'm not a Scrooge. I got lights up, you know, and all that stuff. So I enjoy that part of celebrating Christmas. But I think we have to be really careful that we don't get caught up and all of that, although it's good and we enjoy it and we have a good time, it's a good family time and friends, we have to be careful that uh, we get caught up in that and we really forget the reason that we come together and that we celebrate at this time of the year as we remember the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. And the text I'm going to share with you this morning is really prior to his birth by a few months and it's uh, Mary's song or Mary's celebration or if you want to say the first Christmas carol, it's Mary singing this praise that is in her heart up to the Lord. Uh, as many of you know, we just finished a study in our Liberty University about Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. And I guess because that was fresh on my mind, as I was reading uh, through these verses uh, about her celebration, she talked about magnifying the Lord. And that just really kind of caught my thoughts again about that's what you and I should be concerned with when we celebrate Christmas. We should want to magnify the Lord. Now, in his book, just to let you know why it was on my mind, he said, really, there's two ways that we can magnify the Lord. And uh, he used the illustration of a microscope and a telescope. And you may have read this, but I think it's an interesting way to explain this. He said a microscope, we use it to magnify things which are little to make them big. That's kind of the way we do ourselves sometimes. We, we magnify something little to make it look big, okay? That's not the way we're supposed to magnify the Lord. We magnify the Lord like a telescope. A telescope is something you look through and you see something, you, you try to see something and how majestic it is and how awesome it is. Uh, some of you have looked through telescopes and seen the stars and the galaxies and all the things that God has created. And, and man, it just kind of fills your heart when you see that stuff and you think about the Creator. And that's the way we should magnify God. We should magnify God in such a way that we are trying to reveal Him as He actually is. Okay? Not making something look smaller, but something really as great as He is. And you and I, I know really in our, in our words and in our actions, we can never magnify him to the full greatness of himself but still we are challenged as God's people to magnify Jesus Christ to magnify the Lord and that's my challenge to me today as I read these scriptures and I pray it'll be a challenge to you encouragement to you maybe even a little conviction if God so chooses but let's look at this scripture together and, and see how God would speak to our hearts this morning it's Mary's praise of song of praise Verse 46, And Mary said, 
And by the way, she's with Elizabeth, okay, the mother of John the Baptist. And, and Elizabeth is six months along at this time when Mary comes. And it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked at the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. So let's see if we can learn about celebrating, magnifying our Lord from Mary's song. Let's bow together first, shall we? Dear God, I thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning for the blessedness of just being able to come together and just freely lifting up these songs of thanksgiving and of praise to, your, to you who are so worthy of our praise and our adoration. Lord, I pray this morning as we consider this song of Mary that, God, you will really touch our hearts with it, that, Father, you will challenge us in how we worship you and how we celebrate who you are and what you've accomplished. I pray, Lord, that you will do a work that only you can today, and that's within our hearts. God, that, that you would just really pierce our hearts with truth. And our hearts are pierced, Father, that what would flow out of them would be worship and praise and adoration to you. Lord, I pray that as we look into this scripture, as James said, it will be like we're holding a mirror up to our face. And God, that you would help us to see ourselves as we truly are. And where there needs to be changes made, Father, we would humble ourselves before you that you might forgive us and cleanse us and encourage us in your grace. So God, open our ears, open our hearts today. We pray this for your honor and for your glory. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ I pray. Amen. So I want to look at Mary for a little bit this morning and consider her worship and consider her celebration of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's something I noticed just there in the first couple of verses. And when Mary worshiped, it involved her total being. Okay? I mean, it involved everything about her. Now, I don't know how many of you have Barclay commentaries, but he disagrees with me on this first statement, okay? He said we should not separate spirit and soul. I do. Okay, and I do because these are two separate Greek words that God chose to use when he made this expression of Mary's praise. So when I think about us, I really think about us as being three-part people. I think about us having a body which is physical and then spirit and soul. And we see all those parts involved in Mary's celebration. Paul, he really clarifies the three-part person. Uh, several times he wrote, one of them a really good example is 1 Thessalonians, when he wrote there about uh, being a three-part person. He said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body 
be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And over in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, we won't read that, but he's talking about the word of God, how it divided asunder. And he used two different words there when he talked about spirit and soul. So when I, when I think about that and I look at Mary, I, I see Mary as she is just totally involved in the celebration of the Lord Jesus Christ. That her, her heart had just been pierced by the announcement that she has received and then to come and see Elizabeth and John the Baptist leaped in the womb of Elizabeth and, and how Mary just could not withhold the praise and her adoration within herself for her Heavenly Father. And she spoke with her lips. Man, she just spoke out these words of praise and thanksgiving that you and I just read. And to me, I think about magnifying the Lord and I think, man, isn't that a great thing? Every one of us in here, most of us, I hope, we can express ourselves with our words and with our lips. So you and I, a simple thing like that, we can magnify the Lord by the simple words that flow from our lips. Over in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul wrote again, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. So all of us in here, we have the opportunity that when we worship, wherever that might be, as we gather here or as we're in our homes, we can magnify the Lord simply by the words that pass out of our, or through our lips. Now, I know our culture really has something about how we worship with our bodies physically. Uh, as I was sitting there at back, I just kind of gazed around the room a little bit and just kind of watched how, how we uh, worship when we sing. And some of us stand very still and, and others kind of have a little bit of bounce as they're singing and some move their hands a little bit. I'm not saying one's better than the other, okay? But I tell you what, some way the truth of God as we sing it and as we hear it in some way, it should affect us physically. Whether it's just the smile that passes across our lips or humility we feel before God, in some way it should affect us. I know when we go to Thailand, and we'll be going here in a few months, and I said like this has a lot of culture. I'm not suggesting you do this, okay? Daniel, if you want to, you can. But, you know, pastor might say something. But, you know, as I, I go to Thailand and, and we get in there and we get to worshiping with those folks. And some of you have been to other countries. And you know their culture really affects their worship. But I get to watching them and, and they'll be singing. And, and some of them, they all, they all act different just like we do. But I'll get to watching and, and they'll be singing and just kind of be doing this little bounce with their feet for a little bit. And, and boy, uh, the spirit will start the words and truth will start filling their hearts and before long they're not doing this little lift but pretty soon they're, they're doing this and I can't do it as high as they do. But man, they're bouncing and others are clapping their hands and, and what I'm saying is man, we have a physical body that we can use to express our adoration of God. And, and we need to do that as a people. Not that I'm encouraging you to jump pews or, or even jump up and down. But in some way we should have the freedom within ourselves. That if we want to clap our hands or if we just want to still, still, stand still humbly, that's fine. We're not doing this to judge one another. What I'm saying is the truth should affect our whole being. Then he said, she said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Okay, as I said, soul and spirit are actually two different Greek words. I'm not even going to try to pronounce them. I hope you'll just take my, my word at this. 
But what we do get our word psyche from the word soul. And it is in our text the seat of our feelings and our desires and our affections, our passions. Uh, many say this is something that we share with animals. Okay, I, I don't know about that. But it, it's that part of us. That's part of us. It's our desires. Those, those things that, that really get us moving that might bring a tear down our cheek. We are to, to magnify the Lord with our soul. It's used in Matthew when he said the greatest commandment. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Okay, so that part of us, that, that emotional part of us should be involved in our worship. Okay? And then the last thing she said was my spirit rejoices in God. This is what separates us from animals. This is that part of us that when we are made alive by the Spirit of God, we are able to fellowship with God. Let me read just a little bit here out of you, the Greek lexicon uh, about the Spirit. Uh, it says, It is the rational part of man, the power of perceiving and grasping divine and eternal things, and upon which... The Spirit of God exerts its influence. Okay, in other words, when we feel conviction by the Word of God or we feel encouragement by the Word of God in our spirit, that is the Spirit of God dealing with us in that part of our body. I like what Luther said. Luther said the Spirit is the highest and noblest part of man which qualifies him to lay hold of the incomprehensible, the invisible, and eternal things. In short, it is the house where the faith and God's word are at home. Okay? So that is that part of us that, man, the Spirit of God really takes root in us and fruit comes through our life because we have been made spiritually alive first by the Spirit of God. And then as the children of God, the Spirit of God is at work within us with our spirit, bearing witness with our spirit, working in us, and bearing fruit. And celebration and worship is flowing through us. Jesus said the same thing to the woman at the well. He said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Alright, so that tells me a couple things. One thing that tells me, you have to be a, a child of God to really celebrate Jesus and worship Jesus, okay? You may have the physical part down, and you may even have the emotional, the, the weepy eyes and, and the laughing sometimes and that stuff down, but if your spirit is not alive, you cannot really celebrate what God has done through Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so important that we understand all three parts of us should be involved in this worship. Just think, like I said, if it's only our body and soul, if it's just emotions in our body, anybody can do that, right? Uh, we can do that. I just jumped up and down up here and called it worship. To me, I was just trying not to fall off stage, okay? I, I, I mean, you get what I'm saying? So we can just be emotions and we just be physical it can be nothing but show but when it is because we are spiritually alive and God is working in us and through our spirit that's when we can truly celebrate who Christ is and what God has done worship means to magnify the Lord or exalt him as God alright the tense here is interesting too as it talks about magnifying her it is a tense and a habitual act this, this whole time as she was 
voicing these words this whole time. She was just magnifying God. She was just painting a picture of who God is in the history of her nation and in her life. And she was magnifying him. The truth of God just overcomes her and just flows out of her. It's interesting. I didn't look all these up, by the way. But 15 times in these verses, Mary quotes or relates to the Old Testament, which was her scripture. Okay? And I just say this because I really don't believe we can worship apart from truth. I think truth has to be involved for us to truly worship. Because, man, we can worship all kinds of things, and it's not truly worship. It's when truth penetrates our hearts, really gets within us, that we can really begin to worship. Now, I'm not saying that you have to have a Bible open in front of you uh, to worship, because she didn't. She just had it in her heart. And man, as the Spirit of God moved on her, she just could not help praising God for who He is. You know, I, I've been out in the mountains, and, and I've, I've been blessed to live in some states that have beautiful mountain ranges and beautiful uh, rocky, you know, and some, some beautiful places that I've been able to go up in the mountains and look down on the lakes and see all that. And I, I tell you what, worship worked up within me. Now, now, why was that? I just said about truth. Because when I looked at creation, what it did, it reminded me of the Creator. Okay? I, I didn't worship creation, but I worship the Creator of that. So what I'm saying to you folks is we need to really have the Word of God planted within our hearts and within our minds. We, we need to be attentive. When we're singing songs, uh, when, when Bobby and... Nathan was leading us in songs. We need to be attentive and, and listen to the words of those songs. And when we look into the scriptures, we need to be attentive to the scriptures and, and just asking God to speak to our hearts. Why? Because we want to magnify the Lord. And not only when we gather here, we want to magnify the Lord when we're in our homes and at the workplace, wherever we find ourselves. We want the words that we speak and the actions we do flow out of us because God's truth has been taken root within our heart. See, we just cannot separate the two. You know, another interesting thing before I move on, I like what the psalmist said. He said, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. I just say that to see, folks. Man, man, you, you don't have to be some, some super guy, some great evangelist to magnify the Lord. You just got to be a person whose heart is full of thanksgiving, whose heart is full of the Word of God. And man, it just don't stay within you. It flows out of you. That's how we celebrate the Lord. That's what Mary was doing. She said, oh, my spirit... My soul magnifies the Lord. And then in the rest of these verses, we, we see how she did that. So let's just look through those real quickly. One of the things I, I noticed as I read those verses, and still in verse 48, was she really had a proper view of herself. She talked about the humble estate of his, of God's servant. This is really one Greek word that, that we translate into a phrase, which basically means it leads one to perceive their littleness or even their guilt. It's often used as the word of humiliation. James chapter 1, verse 10, he used it to talk about those who were rich. Uh, let me read that to you real quick here. James chapter 1, verse 10. And the rich in his humiliation. Same word right there, okay? In his humiliation. 
creation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. It's talking about rich people need to understand their state in life. That You know what? They have a span of life as well. And she is saying here, you know, I understand who I am before God. I understand that I am his bondservant. I understand that I'm not the one who's telling God what he's supposed to do. But I am supposed to be listening to my master and being obedient to him. To Jesus Christ, it's not a big Santa Claus up in the sky. But Jesus Christ is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. He is the master, not me. And she understood that. She understood her humble estate before God. She said, all generations will call me blessed. Now we look at that and say, well, whoa, now just now, you just said you had a humble estate, and now you're saying all generations are going to call me blessed. Well, where we mess up with that is when we as religions raise Mary up much higher than God intended her to be raised. Yes, in my mind, she is special because God chose her to uh, have the birth of his son through. So yes, but that's not what she's saying here. Blessed, and you heard pastor say this a while back, is a very hard word to uh, translate into English for, for one reason. It's used in so many different ways. Over in the Beatitudes, it's used as an adjective noun, okay? But when Mary uses it here, it is a verb. So the short version here, she is basically saying because she is indwelt by God. This would be recognized and declared by generations to come. Okay? So, so we're not gathered today and we won't meet tomorrow night and, and worship Mary. We won't say, oh, what a wonderful lady she is, although she was a pure lady in the eyes of God. We won't gather to do that. We'll gather because God was within her. She gave birth to the Son of God. Okay? That's what we will worship that God did a work in her and, and through her. And yes, she is blessed. I like what the keyword study Bible says. It says because she is indwelt by God, this fact would be recognized and declared by generations to come. That's what we do. Every time we read this and we talk about Mary as the mother of Jesus Christ, that's what we are doing. We are recognizing the fact that she gave birth to Jesus Christ. One of the great hindrances, I believe, in worship today, and maybe I'm just talking about myself here and no one else, even at Christmas time, I, I think sometimes we have a tendency to put people up too high and we bring God down. And you know, when we bring God down too low and we take ourselves up too high, there's not a whole lot of difference between us and God. So why in the world would we think He's highly exalted when we have a highly exalted view of ourself and a low view of God? That would never bring us to true worship. I saw this illustrated the first time. And, and those of you that were here back in those days when Grant Atkinson used to be an evangelist, he's no longer doing that. But I remember when he illustrated this and he told us, he said, God, and he used two hands, he said, God is so high that we can never reach and illustrate how high and mighty he is. But we're going to do it this way, okay? And man is so low and so depraved outside of the grace of God that we can never hold this, land, this hand low enough. 
But what we have done as a people, we have raised man up and we keep raising man up and we keep lowering God down and we lower God down. We make him our Santa Claus and we make him our servant and we don't see him for who he truly is. And before long, there's about that much difference between man and God. And folks, we really are not moved to worship when there's that little difference between us and God. I tell you what, when we exalt ourselves, we will not bow before God and we will not worship God. So we have to be very careful, I think, in this Christmas season. And man, I love it. I love getting the gifts. You know, and, and I know sometimes we get a gift and we open that thing up and we, we say, what in the world am I going to do with this? No, not really. I'm sure you never get one of those. But I tell you what, the gifts that God gives us, we never say that. Man, when we open up that gift for the first time and see Jesus Christ for who he truly is, we can't do anything but say, thank you, God, for this gift of grace and mercy that you poured out on my life. See, folks, we exalt him because of who he is. But, man, if we, if we raise ourselves up way up here, we probably won't. In fact, if you're not a believer and you've done that in your life, you're looking at that, and it don't take too much to save you, does it? Because you're so close to God anyway. Man, that'll keep you from ever coming before God. And God needs to break your heart. He needs to show you who you really are outside of the grace of God, that you are a broken sinner, and you are depraved, and you can do nothing in your flesh that is pleasing to God, and you can do nothing to make yourself right with God. And you may be a better man than me in a lot of ways, but I tell you what, that don't make a bit of difference in the eyes of God. It's only when you understand that you are depraved far, far below what God desires. You have fallen short of the glory of God. It's only when you understand that, you understand how high and lifted up God is, how he gave his son to take the flesh of man and come for the express purpose of dying on the cross to save those who would repent and believe in him. Only then, only then will you understand how high and lifted up God is. And that would be my prayer for you if you've never come to saving faith in Jesus, that the Spirit of God would convince you of that this morning, that he would bring to mind the testimonies you've heard and the preaching you've heard and the songs you've heard and would use those truths to bring conviction in your heart today. In fact, I would even say to us who are believers today, I would ask you about your worship. If you're really honest with yourself today and you're looking in this book like a mirror and you're looking in this and you ask yourself about how you truly worship God, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not saying you need to bounce or jump or anything like Tony did. You know, I'm not saying any of that. Because we all worship different. But I tell you what, I, I ask you to look into the Word of God and ask yourself about your worship. What, what is really going on in you when you worship, when you sing? Or when you just stand and listen to others sing? What's going on? Is it truly a, a time when you are coming before God and you are recognizing His greatness? You're magnifying Him like a telescope? Or is it just when are you going to get done? I've got other things to do. That's not worship. So the challenge to me today, and I pray the challenge to you, is if, even if you're a child of God, look in the scripture and say, thank you, God, for working in me in such a way that I truly worship you. And you know, none of us do it all the time, let's be honest. We all have bad days and stuff. So what do we do when we have a bad day? We pray that God brings it to our heart. 
And we confess it before him. Say, Lord, I've had a bad day, man. <laughs> forgive me. And he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. He is just. He is faithful to forgive us. Not we're just and faithful. He is. So we go before him. Say, Lord, I blew it this morning. Man, we had some great songs. Lord, I know we did. But I was really more concerned what was going on beside me or around me or this afternoon than I was really coming and acknowledging you for who you were. So where do you find yourself so far? Well, let's move on. Let's, let's see what, what moved Mary to this celebration. And like I said, she quoted or re referred to 15 different instances in the history of her nation and in her own personal life. So in verses 47 through 55, and I'm going to jump around a little bit here so you bear with me, but she says the same thing in a couple places. So first I would ask you, who is he? Who is God to you? When you come together to worship, who is he? Is he somebody worthy of worship? Is he? Is he worthy of your adoration? You know, not all things are. Is God? Is he worthy of your adoration? Well, let's look what she says. First thing she says in verse 47, he's my savior. He is my deliverer. He is my rescuer. Okay? So she understood, for one, that she needed a personal savior. And she understood this child within her. And God who sent this child is her savior. Listen to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, where he says, She will bear a son. And, and this is talking to Joseph, by the way. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Excuse me, that's Mary. You shall call his name Jesus, for we, he'll, we excuse me, for he will save his people from their sins. They didn't just pick Jesus out of the air. They picked Jesus because he is coming as a savior. And Mary, she understood the fact that she needed a savior. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, Paul wrote it like this to this young pastor. He said, for there is one, there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. A mediator. We all need a mediator. And only Jesus can be that mediator. Why? Because he's fully God and he's fully man. And none of us fit into that, that character, okay? We're not that person. Only Jesus Christ, one mediator between God and man. And we all need a mediator. So she said, he is my savior. Then in verse 49, she said, he is mighty. He is mighty. Man, she is sitting there and she is Counting her blessings, okay? She's thinking about what God has done for her, which is beyond her ability. Back in verse 37, she had said, nothing will be impossible with God. So she is stopping and she is thinking, as I said, about the, the history of her nation. She's thinking about how God has now come to her and pronounced this great truth and gone to Joseph and told him this great truth. She is thinking of the mighty things he has done. Then she said, holy is his name. Holy is his name. In other words, separate. He is separate from all sin. He is separate from all evil. All he does flows out of the perfection of his attributes. 
Everything he does flows out of the fact that he is holy. His judgment, his wrath, those things that sometimes really messes our mind up when we think of him being holy and right. He is holy in all of that. And because he is holy, he is the one who can stand in judgment of all people. Verses 50 and 54. His mercy is for those who fear him. Then he said from generation to generation. Simple definition. He does not give us what we deserve. I I love that definition. I know it's simple. It's probably not very theological. Well, I think it's theological. But he said he doesn't give us what he does. Nothing we do that is wrong, that, or excuse me, nothing, we do not do good enough for him to show us his mercy. He simply shows us mercy because he is merciful. So we look at those, those first verses there, and Mary is saying who he is. She's saying, one, he is powerful. Two, he is holy. Three, he is merciful. Four, he is my Savior. Now we could probably stop right there and some of you wish I would. Okay, probably. But he says those four things which is so important. Think about God. Think about what he's done through Jesus Christ. He's powerful. He's done things on our behalf that we could not do, that we did not have the ability to do. He is holy, yet holy and separate, but yet Because of his grace, he came to us in the form of a servant in the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy yet loving us, making a way from us to himself. He is holy. That goes to he is merciful and he is our savior. You know, we we could probably just jot those four things down in our mind. And stop and just think about those and dwell and meditate upon those things. And ask the Spirit of God to reveal the truth to us in our life. How He has shown us mercy. How in His holiness He has come down to us in the form of a servant. Jesus. Man, who is this Lord who is worthy of our adoration? I ask you that this morning. To answer that to yourself. Who is this God whom we gather to worship? Who is he? Or do we even think about that when we gather to worship? Then she talked about what he has done. And I'll move through these quickly. And you can spend some time thinking about these yourself, okay? But eight times Mary said, God has. Talking about something in the past tense, yet it has present purpose. And per- present working in the lives of people. I, I love it where he sa- she says, He has looked on me in verse 48. I like the New American Standard, I'll be honest. It says, He has regarded her. Or in other words, He was mindful of her. I love that. One of my greatest favorite truths in the Word of God is the presence of God with us. Now, that, that, I'll be honest, if I had to write down a and maybe that's self-centered. Forgive me, God, if it is. But I, I love to remind myself that God is present with me. There's been so many times in life when I've gone through struggles or suffering or some type. And what has carried me through that? And yes, the promises I have in God. But that one promise, I know that God is with me. And he has promised me he will never leave me nor forsake me. That is the idea of he has regard for you. And whatever you're going through, friend, in life, good times, bad times, I'll tell you this. If you are a child of God, 
God is with you. Emmanuel, God with us. Okay? So, he is with us. He has looked on us. I think of Matthew 6. Uh, Matthew 6, when he was talking about don't be anxious. All right? And he talked about the lilies of the field. He said, the lilies of the field, you know, what do they do? But yet, look how beautiful they're clothed. He talked about the birds. He, th- he said, look what they do. But, but they always have all the food they need, don't they? And then he basically, and this is not word for word, he said, why are you anxious? God, doesn't God care more about you than the lilies of the field and the sparrows? Doesn't he? And see, it's remembering those truths. And remembering God is with us. He, he has regard toward us. Child of God, you are not alone in life. Verse 49, he said, she has done great things for me. Of course, I would think of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ that he has done on behalf of those who believe. I've mentioned that earlier. Verse 52, he said, he exalted those of humble estate. I know the ESV translates humble estate same way in two verses there, but actually it's two different phrases. One is talking about the state of a person. The other is talking about just who he is before in his character. And this is what he's talking about in verse 52. It's talking about someone who is humble. Someone who has humbled himself before God. He says he exalts us. Peter says the exact same thing over in 1 Peter 5, 5. James says it also in chapter 1, verse 9. But listen to 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He has looked on her because of her humble. He has exalted her. He's filled the hungry with good things. I, I thought of Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall, shall be satisfied. Think about that. How many times has God satisfied you? I mean, man, the, the word, you've heard the word or you've read the word. And, and, and maybe when you started, you were just empty. Maybe you were struggling with something, but the Spirit of God just opened up the word of God to you. Man, he just satisfied you. That's what the word of God does and the Spirit of God working in us. And now verses 51 through 53. He talks about how God deals with those who oppose him. And these verses are just the opposite of what the world looks upon things. You know, the world has a way of looking down its nose on those who are humble and those who are servants and those who are fearful. Well, the world looks down on those that God doesn't. God sees and deals with people differently. We have a tendency to look up at the proud and the mighty and the rich. Not God. Those things don't impress God, okay? I'm not saying that a person who finds himself as being wealthy or anything is not in the kingdom of God. We know better than that. But we also know better than to think because they are wealthy, that's why they're in the kingdom of God, right? One way. The Lord Jesus Christ, however we find ourselves in life. Let's look at these real quick. I'll just read through them. Verse 51, he says, Shown strength, he has scattered the proud. All right? Those who are so proud of themselves. I, I think of the Tower of Babel, of course. Verse 52, he's brought down the mighty from their thrones. I, I thought of Psalms 2. I love Psalms 2. I, I call it the laughter in heaven. When everybody on earth, all the kings, well, they're making these plans, how, how they're going to overthrow the Lord and they're going to do their own thing. And, and in heaven, you know what's going on in heaven? Laughter. God's laughing. 
He's laughing at men and kingdoms as they make their plans against him. There's laughter in heaven. All right, he says, the rich he has sent away empty. Now, that's just the opposite of what we think or people think today, isn't it? We never think of the rich as being empty. But he says he sends the rich away empty. Of course, I thought of the rich man in Lazarus. Verse 16, 25 says there, he says, Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime, this is speaking to the rich man. Child, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, he received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. You remember that story that Jesus told about Lazarus and the rich man? The rich man who had everything he wanted in life, would not even give the crumbs of bread to this poor Lazarus, had sores on his body. Lazarus' dad, he went to be in the, the bosom of Abraham. And, man, uh, and the rich man, same thing, but the rich man had fire. He couldn't stand it. And this is what Jesus said to him. You had good things in life. Oh, this is your reward. Lazarus, he didn't. Now he finds comfort. So God, he doesn't look at rich and proud the way we look at rich and proud. Let me close with verse 54 and 55. And these are really important verses, I think. And basically what he, this says to me, we can count on God. He keeps his word. Okay, listen to what he says in verse 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. We can count on God. Zechariah, when he gave that great praise in, in the end of this chapter, he mentioned the same thing about how God has kept his word to the nation. He kept his word in the fact that Jesus is the promised one. Clear back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. After the fall of man was the first promise of the coming of Jesus. When he said that you know that he would raise one up from the woman. Who would stomp the head of the snake first. But you know what? Think about this. It goes way back before that. We've been reading Revelation in one of our small groups at McDonald's. And it has amazed me at the times we have run across the phrase. Their name who was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. And then in Ephesians, I think it's chapter 1 verse 4, Paul says the same thing. Before the foundation of the world. What I'm saying to you, Jesus was not a last minute thought. God was not sitting in heaven when Adam and Eve fell and he threw his head on his head and said, Oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. God didn't do that. Before the foundation of the world, our names were written in the Lamb's book of life. And then we see that coming up to Genesis 3.15, and then we see the working through Abraham, the promises given to Abraham and to the patriarchs. And then we see the, the prophets speaking, and then we come to the announcement to Mary and to Joseph. And tomorrow night we'll talk about the fulfillment of that. See, Jesus is the promise. God keeps his word. And when God says something in his word to his people, we can take it to the bank. God will keep his word. People may have really good intentions, but you know what I've learned in life? For whatever reason, sometimes people don't keep their word. Okay? 
sometimes not even meaning not to. They, they just don't. Maybe they're like me. they got a memory like me. I don't know. See, I'm making excuses, aren't I? But anyway, you know what I'm saying? Pe- people just don't always keep their word. Some, sometimes even we'll make promises to ourselves, and we don't keep them, do we? And Satan, he'll sure promise us all kind of things. He'll promise us all kind of pleasures, all time, kind of good things in this life. You know what? You can't keep it. The only word Satan can really keep is the promise that if you die in believing that you'll spend eternity with him in hell. That's about it. But God, God keeps his promises. When he said he was going to send a Savior, he sent a Savior. When he said that if you would repent of your sins and turn to him, call out to him in Romans, he said that you will be saved. That's exactly what he meant. That if you repent and trust in Jesus, you will be saved. Not because you deserve it, not because of anything you can work up to do it, not because of your great ability, simply because you realize you're such a sinner in need of a Savior and Jesus is the only Savior. And you come to him in humble repentance and faith. His promise to you is he will save you. And we could go on and on. That verse I read in 1 Thessalonians, he's promised us that he will keep us, that he will present us blameless before the Father. Has that ever took root in your heart? That it's not you're really trying as hard as you can try here, but it's about what Jesus is doing in you and through you for his good will and his good purpose. That someday Jesus is going to present you, child of God, blameless before the Father. He keeps his children. We could go on about the promises of God. I hope you will. I hope you think about them this afternoon with your family and as you celebrate Christmas whenever you do that. I hope you will move beyond the gifts. And I love the gifts. But I hope you'll think about the real gift, Jesus Christ. And you look at all the tinsel and all the lights, which I love as well. I hope you'll look at those things and you will think about the goodness and the power and the holiness of God. But yet in his holiness, we who were so sinful and so undeserving, he stepped down. We call it Christmas. He stepped down. We call it incarnation. He stepped down. We call it God with us. We call it our Savior. I hope that's how you celebrate Christmas because of the great gift that God has given you. Let's bow together, shall we? Lord God, we bow before you in thankfulness for who you are and all that you have done. God, I I know often, too, too often, I fall into that thing of when we're gathering about talking about everything that really takes my thoughts away from who you are. Lord, I pray that you will help me that as we fellowship as a body of believers that, that we, I remember we have this fellowship because of what you've done. Because we shake hands with people that you've indwelt, that you've saved, and, and we have this common bond in Jesus Christ. And we can love one another Uh, unlike the world understands. So God, I pray that you would just really help us be honest this morning before you with ourselves. Even if it's just right where we stand as we sing a closing song, that God, where we stand, we would just bow humbly before you and be, be honest.
And Lord, I, I pray, you know the hearts of each person. I, I know I can't save a, a person in this place that's not a believer. But God, I know that your spirit, your spirit works in the lives of people. Oftentimes through the music and the words that we share as we gather. And I, I just ask that this morning. God, that if there one you've been working in through the witness and testimony of his family and friends, God, that this morning that your spirit just might quicken them, bring them to a deep awareness of their separation from you and their need for Jesus. And then, Father, help them humble themselves before you and before this body of believers. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.